This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. It's day one of the lockdown, as we've been seeing, and we still see some tension between healthcare advocates and our politicians, some of whom say these measures are not enough, and the business community, especially the small business community, who say these measures are too severe. And I have some questions about this second wave, which we are seeing all over the world. The numbers, uh, hopefully we'll have time to take some of your calls. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Now I'm joined by Dr. Barry Pecos, professor at the University of Toronto's Dallin-Lana School of Public Health, and Dr. Dion Alleman, an industrial engineering professor at the University of Toronto and an expert in contact tracing and pandemic planning. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having, for having us. Okay, so here's my question. I accept the argument that uh, th- there were too many of us out and about, that people got a little too lax, and that is, and we're moving indoors, and that is leading to a second wave. But the question I have is that this seems to be happening all over the world, including in places that had an excellent track record in the first wave, places where, quite frankly, the population is a lot more uh, disciplined about distancing and masks and all of that. And they seem to be doing such a great job and there's still a second wave. So my question is, it seems to me like there's got to be something else at play here. Is is there not? And is it just a matter that the researchers don't yet know what it is? Dr. Pecos. Um, no, I mean, I don't think there's uh, something else at play. There's many dozens of things that are at play here. So, the, you know, there's the there's the, the vaccine, the virus transmissibility piece, but it's also, you know, the political, the social, the, the regulatory, the, the health care system. I mean, all these things are interacting synergistically um, to create the second wave. I mean, we're, we're well into it, and, and there are different factors in different countries, and some are doing better than others. Um, but we, where we find ourselves, I don't think we had much of a choice right now to go into the lockdown that we're in. And there's definitely some people that say it's too hard and some people that say it's not enough. Um, but I think we've, we've achieved a reasonable uh, middle ground, you know, as a public health. Have we lost you? Dr. Pegas? Uh, okay, I think we have uh, lost Dr. Pegas. We're going to try to get him back. Uh, Dr. Alleman, do you agree? Um, I, I do agree. Um, you know, there, there are so many moving parts to a pandemic and how it spreads that it's hard to really point at any one thing and, and say, well, this is the reason why we're seeing this second wave, especially when we look across lots of different countries where, yeah, as you said, uh, people and their governments might be taking uh, different approaches and being more or less disciplined, but still a second wave occurs. Um, you know, if you ask me if I had to hazard a guess, I would say that the main reason why the second wave is occurring really all across the world is, you know, just a, a, it's psychological. 
um, you know, on the part of, of the individual people, you know, COVID fatigue is, is a real thing and it's understandable. Um, and on the part of the governments, once you've started to relax restrictions and you open businesses back up, you allow people back into restaurants and bars and all of that, it's hard to turn around and say, well, we need to take all of that away again, right? Nobody wants to be, you know, the bad guy politically because, uh, you know, as, as Dr. Bacon said, some people, some people feel that the measures are too little and some people feel that, that they're too much and you end up, I guess, politically in a kind of lose-lose situation if you don't have strong backing from the population. So nobody wants to change the status quo, even though, you know, it's really quite obvious across the world. If you look at countries that have done well and continue to do well, their main strategy is to don't wait, re-escalate, right? As soon as there's a hint that COVID is growing again, things get shut down, things get heavily restricted, and then you don't have to do those restrictions for very long before things are back under control. And then you can start experimenting with relaxing again. Uh, I, I think you're referring to Australia. Um, Australia is one, although, you know, it is easy to argue that they waited uh, quite a bit too long. I know like Melbourne and like the you know, Victoria area are kind of held up as examples of what can be achieved if you do a very severe lockdown. Uh, but they did wait until things were <clears throat> really uh, not fully out of hand, but uh, were growing very rapidly and very concerning before they did their major lockdown. And then it took, uh, I think, like four to six weeks before those numbers really started to come down. I mean, I'm thinking more like areas like Taiwan and South Korea, where as soon as <clears throat> there's there's a you know noticeable trend of an increase, not just like a blip of one day or two days, but you know really over the course of like a week or two weeks, you can see that the trend is going up. Immediately, things start to get clamped down, and then you only have to do that for a couple of weeks, and then you go back to being reopened. Whereas now here in Ontario, we have let things get so bad that our public health units in uh, in the hotspot regions like Toronto and Peel are just completely overwhelmed. We can't get everybody tested. Uh, we can't even do contact tracing to truly know where people are getting infected. And now we're at, uh, we're basically on the brink of the point where our ICU capacity is going to be, is going to hit that, uh, you know, 150 bed um, number that, that is the indicator of when elective surgeries need to start being canceled and postponed. And then that has real implications for our health system and the long-term health of people who don't even have COVID. And by waiting until we've gotten to this point, now we really have to take much more severe measures to get things back under control. And we'll have to take those measures for longer. Okay, we have uh, Dr. Pecos back. And again, um, Dr. Alleman mentioned South Korea and uh, uh, Taiwan, which have done way better than we have. But from the beginning, uh, their populations were a lot more disciplined than we are. Yep, that is true. And that, that is one of the factors. Uh, you know, of course, as we keep mentioning, we, we do have a really big neighbor to the south that we trade a lot with. And, and that's something that is, is somewhat unique to us. But, you know, absolutely. It's, it's about how disciplined the population is, but also the degree of trust and the relationship with our governments and our public health authorities and, and how those folks in public health and health care work with each other that really impact you know, the kinds of decisions we're even able to make and how quickly we can implement them. So, you know, I really agree with everything that's, that's been said and that we are, you know, we're in a, a decent place to have made this decision now, but, but perhaps a little bit too late. And things are definitely at the brink where it's affecting everybody's health. So the, you know, yes, it's the ICUs, but really it's also the acute care beds, which, you know, isn't something we often think about because we often think about the worst pe- the worst off who are ventilated, but the acute care um uh, beds are really occupied, which pushes into the emergency rooms, and emergency rooms can't offload elsewhere. And so, 
So even people coming into the Emerge for other things are going to find uh, a lot more congestion there, and, and it's going to impact people's health. So we needed to do this now. I, I get that. And we might have been late, as as you were saying. We might have been late in doing this. <laughs> There's also this issue that it seems arbitrary, some of the restrictions. Uh, so first of all, by giving us all the, the weekend for the announcement, I mean, I think they precipitated what could have been some super spreader things. I mean, Dr. Elman, did you get a load of the pictures from some of the shopping malls? <laughs> yes, yes, I did indeed. Um, and, you know, it's kind of inevitable that something like that would happen if you give people 48 hours advance notice that, that there's going to be restrictions. But at the same time, if if we really expect people to just hunker down in their homes and have very little outside contact, only go out for essential reasons for the next four weeks, I mean, you have to give people an opportunity to go to the grocery store, get things that they're going to need for that time. So it, it's, you know, it's kind of like it's going to be bad, but you can't avoid it. Um <clears throat> Just, uh, it is what it is. And I think I think probably uh, the Ontario government could have done a little bit better job communicating what is actually involved in this lockdown to avoid some of these big rushes, because really the retail shops are not locked down, right? They're still just doing curbside pickup. Even in malls, they'll still be open, but just for uh, pickup of uh, prearranged uh, orders anyway. Grocery stores are still going to be open, just operating at 50% capacity uh, in terms of, you know, how many people can be in the store. So really all of these things are still going to be open and available. And, you know, there isn't necessarily a need to go out and have a big panic buy and make sure you get your toilet paper. It's not it's not like that. Well, um, exactly. But people yeah. didn't get that message. I mean, no, even, they did not. And in fact, it, I didn't get that message until I actually went and very closely read the details of what's in the lockdown, because from the presser, you really got the sense that things really would be locked down. But in truth, really only gyms and movie theaters are closed, closed. And uh, I guess uh, barbers and hairstylists. So uh, my final question to Dr. Pecos, uh, is this lockdown too lax? Um, you know, as a, as a public health physician, I would say from the perspective of, of controlling the pandemic, um, we probably didn't go far enough. Um, but you know, recognizing um, our, our government and the means that it has available to it and the buy-in of the population is necessary. Um, I don't think that, that I could have expected uh, much different. I definitely agree that, you know, for quite some time, the way decisions are made and how they're implemented in terms of their timeline and the communication could definitely have been uh, a lot better. I think everybody everybody does need to be a little bit understanding that, while some things do seem to be arbitrary, and certainly you did point that out, um, I think the areas that I know of and that I'm involved with, um, once you get into the details, you realize how complex each and every one of these hundreds of, of areas that are decreased or shut down or closed or all that, uh, how complex they are, and that the product that gets put out to the population does look very arbitrary on its surface. But you know, all of that stuff underneath it, there is a, a, a logic to it. And the overall logic is simply one simple thing. That is to decrease the amount of interactivity between people in the population. And and whatever can achieve that within reasonable means, with some exceptions that are, some are sort of niche exceptions that are asked for by specific groups and others are for essential reasons. But, you know, with those exceptions, that's the overall purpose. And, and 
It's understandable that people feel they're arbitrary, but actually there is a, a logic to them. And, and we just need to do our civic duty and listen to them. Okay. Well, hopefully uh, over the next few days, we will discover the logic to some of those. In the meantime, uh, I think all of us uh, understand that we really have to hunker down. Thank you so much, Dr. Barry Pecos and Dr. Dion Alleman. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. Last week, we learned about the huge test positivity rate in Brampton, which is the hardest hit area in the province. And Mayor Patrick Brown has been making the point that Brampton is home to many essential services like food processing and manufacturing and many people who work in healthcare. And these are actually designated as essential services. So my question is, does a lockdown have any meaning, let alone any impact there. I'd like to welcome Mayor Patrick Brown. Thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. It would be always uh, nice to be on your show. Great. Uh, So uh, a lockdown in Brampton. uh, Is uh, today any different than any other day before? Well, the two largest sectors in our city are food processing and transportation logistics. We have 8,500 in food processing and 11,000 in transportation logistics, and they're considered essential workers. So no, for the large proportion of workers in, in Brampton, it's just another day. That's not to say um, that the painful emails and phone calls I'm getting from small businesses um, aren't difficult to read. You know, we've got uh, a small business community, restaurants, retail stores that are just uh, being hit. Uh, it's, it's like an economic tidal wave uh, because the spring was already tough enough and now it's going to be uh, another major blow. So I I definitely want to get to that. But before we get there, so here we have the hardest hit area and we have tough measures that uh, are designed to help, but it doesn't look like they're designed to help Brampton. If you know, you, you basically have the same number of people out and about today. Yeah. One thing I've articulated both to the premier and the prime minister, that if they really want to help Brampton and Peel region, focus where the spread is. Our number one source of spread is in industrial settings. You know, in some cities, it was from restaurants and gyms. I don't have a single outbreak at a restaurant in in Brampton. I've had 116 workplace outbreaks, and they are largely in industrial settings. And so what we could really use is two things. One, I need an isolation center in the northeast of Brampton for people that can't safely isolate because they live in crowded living conditions. And secondly, I need sick benefits. We have a lot of people, factory workers, who live paycheck to paycheck, and they can't afford to miss a paycheck. And so they're going into work with symptoms. They're going into work to hiding that, that they're sick because they have to put food on the table and pay their rent. Those are the two things that would be most significant in combating COVID-19 in Peel Region. Now, Mayor John Tory here in Toronto is making an announcement later in the day that has to do with exactly that. He said he has an announcement that will help people who need to go and get tested, go get tested without fear of losing pay. Uh, are you in on that? Do you know what that is? And, and uh, I would imagine it's from the province. They would give it to Brampton as well as Toronto. Well, I, I don't want to uh, preempt um, Mayor Tory's uh, announcement. I just spoke to him about uh, 49 minutes ago. Um, it's not a provincial announcement. It's not a federal announcement. Um, but I can tell you that Mayor Tory, myself, Mayor Crombie, Mayor Scarpetti, uh, all the mayors in, in the GTA are working together to try to push for a provincial federal solution to, um, to, to, to sick benefits. So here we are nine months into the pandemic, and all we're being told is that the bill 
for sick benefits is stuck in the Senate. Um, I don't care how they get it done. It's been nine months. It's been long enough. We need that. Right. But in the meantime, uh, I don't think that your levels of government have the money to to help people before that thing gets passed. Am I no. wrong? Um, and, and it's why we desperately need um, that federal or provincial support for sick for, 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 for sick days. Uh, because right now, with, with municipalities, you'd just be tinkering around the edges. Um, you know, you can have small creative solutions, but they're patchwork. We need real sick benefit uh, compensation. Okay. And b- back to the uh, lockdown aspect. Is there anything other than that that would help you control things in Brampton, given that people are going to work? Well, the number one source of our trans- transmission is industrial settings. And so I, I just stress that that's where the focus needs to be. Having said that, there are some aspects of the new provincial restrictions that could be helpful. Um, I, I know from our medical officer health that we've had three outbreaks in uh, places of worship. Uh, those are now closed um, uh, under the restrictions. We've had challenges with uh, banquet halls. Uh, uh, you know, they got closed by our medical officer health a week ago. Um, so that you know, there are some restrictions that that are helpful where, where there's been transmission. Um, but you know, I, I, I don't want it lost on anyone um, that we're still not tackling the elephant in the room, which is in, in, which is industrial settings. Uh, now, in terms of small business and big business, so uh, there's 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 a big backlash against this, and and frankly, it is hard for many of us to understand the rationale. Why is it that we can go to uh, a Costco or, or something like that and you can't go to the small business that sells exactly the same things? And, and my experience during stage two is that if you go to one of these big places, you, you encounter lineups at a Walmart or something. If you go to the small business on your, your high street, there's a sign on the door that says only two people at a time and they Force it, and there doesn't seem to be a problem. I don't disagree with the word that you said, uh, Livy. I, I raised the same thing to to the, the premier. I gave an example of of uh, Restyle, a small boutique in in downtown Brampton, where my wife goes. Uh, pretends it's a clothing store, women's clothing store. They have two or three people inside, and the owner of that the small business, Evie, asked me. She said, "How come I have to close down when I have two or three people? Yet the Costco or the the Walmart that sells the same thing um, can have a thousand people there, and I, I don't have an answer for her. And and I think it's one of the failings of, of these restrictions. I know in Manitoba, um, they they tried this to um, rope off er- areas that sold those goods, and, and it hasn't been very successful. And so, you know, I, I know I know the premier pointed out to me that because Manitoba's rollout of that wasn't effective, it's one of the reasons that. They thought it was too complicated here, but boy, you know, my heart goes out to these these small businesses because I, I can't I can't reconcile that. I, I I can't explain to a small business why they are closed, but a big box store, an international company, is allowed to operate. It's it, it, I can't explain that. Well, ex- exactly, and uh, you know, I hate to use the example of you know the one Canadian one Canadian Tire. But um, I also fail to understand why do we need to shop in person at Canadian Tire? Yeah, one thing I've been yeah. advocating uh, throughout this um, pandemic is we need to be surgical. And, you know, I- I'm all for listening to the science and public health. And I've got the 
utmost respect to our, our medical officer of health and our hospital head and their concerns about hospital capacity and how rapid this transmission happens are legitimate and valid concerns. Um, I, I just hope that whenever we have restrictions, that we are as surgical as possible and focus on where the transmission is happening because there are real repercussions in the economy. There are real repercussions for mental health. You know, there, there are other side effects to um, the decisions that governments are making. And um, it's one of the things that, that I know I really struggle with um, as, as, as mayor of a city because I, I, I read the emails. You know, I, I read the emails every single day um, from businesses that are facing catastrophe. Uh, you mentioned an an isolation place. Uh, I thought that was promised ages ago. Am I wrong? <laughs> can, can, can you can you hear the frustration in my in my voice? Toronto got their isolation center on September 11th, despite the fact that Peel Region is the hardest hit region in 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 the country, maybe outside of Steinbeck, um, Manitoba. You know, we've got uh, positivity rates that are that are in some neighborhoods up to 19 percent, and you know. We pushed, we pushed, we made noise, and finally, two weeks ago, the government said you're going to get money for an isolation center. Now, they've even fumbled that, frankly, because now it's going to be going to Mississauga, 40 minutes away by public transit from the area that actually needs it. So the northeast of Brampton with the factory workers, with essential workers, that's where they really need it. And now they're expecting someone who tests positive to take transit 40 minutes to an isolation center in a different city. Um, and and they've actually merged the isolation center with a homeless shelter. And so, you know, I, I, I worry that we're just not going to be able to get people to, to, to go to that location. Um, it's too far. There, there are other challenges. Um, and so I, I've continued the push. My city council passed a motion 11 to 0 requesting the government of Canada open an isolation center at one of the two hotels that are in uh, the northeast of, of Brampton. That's where they need it, and it will make a big difference. And for anyone that thinks an isolation center is some complicated facility, there are no, there are no uh, chain link bars. There's no security. It's simply a hotel that public health uh, seconds. They take over. They have one HR person there, one public health worker there, and they will make sure the people that are COVID positive, who live in crowded living conditions, or can't afford a hotel room, have a safe place to get through um, their, their 14 days with, with COVID. It's as simple as that, and it shouldn't be this complicated nine months into the pandemic to get that isolation center. Yeah, let me ask you this, because I think you kind of alluded to it. Uh, there are certain measures that that people will accept and others that they won't, and there are cultural differences. So are you convinced that the people in Brampton will be willing to leave a family home, even if there are a lot of people there, and go to a place like that? Yes. Um, I, I, I've spoken to the uh, the two ward councillors and to faith leaders in the area. Um, they believe that it would be um, there would be wide uh, buy-in because they know the severity of, of, of the virus. But they also said it has to be accessible. Um, we can't expect someone who doesn't have a car to spend an hour um, going to a, an undisclosed location in a different city. We have to make it convenient. Well, right, and and uh, what they they're positive and they get on public transit. That doesn't seem right. No, not at all. Uh, so, bottom line, do you have, uh, or along with your health authorities, do you have a, a target to a decrease in Brampton as a result of this new lockdown? You're not going to like the answer that I'm 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 going to give. I, I think everyone is optimistic the numbers will fall dramatically during this 28 day period, um, but I'm not convinced. 
because the largest segment of our workforce, essential workers, transportation, logistics, food processing, is exempt. Um, and I just don't see how numbers are going to come down dramatically, given the fact um, we're not dealing with the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. And what about the hospitals? Um, the hospitals are at capacity. Um, having said that, we were at capacity before the pandemic. Yeah. Brampton's been in code gridlock for five years. But uh, but again, uh, are, do you have hallway medicine back or are you uh, keeping it at bay? No, we have hallway medicine, but we've had hallway medicine for years now. This is not something new to the pandemic. It, you know, the provincial average for hospital beds is 2.19 per 1,000 beds. In, in Brampton, it's 0.96. We went into, into this pandemic with half the hospital beds that is the provincial average. And so, you know, this is a different issue, a different problem, but it speaks to the, the, the challenges when you don't have proper healthcare capacity. And it's why um, every, every government from PCs to NDP to Liberals um, have really failed at building out hospital infrastructure in Peel Region. Right. But presumably there's more distancing in the hospitals now and, and uh, some of the, the the rules have changed regarding how many people in which department. Yes, uh, they, they've had to cancel non-elective surgeries, but we are we are the, the house is full. Uh, we're, we're at 100 percent capacity and they are now sending patients to other hospitals. OK, uh, I see that we are out of time. Mayor Patrick Brown, thanks very much for being with us and uh, all the best to you and the people in Brampton. And let's hope that uh, this thing works. OK. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. OK, and that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.